All right, Lord willing, time willing, we're going to do verses uh, 17 through 34 today. Hopefully finish up Matthew chapter 20. If you weren't with us last week, we did the first part of the chapter, verses 1 through 16, which came off a question that Peter asked. Peter asked back in verse 27, C of Matthew 19, See, we have left all and followed you, therefore what shall we have? And so Peter's saying, what do we get out of giving up everything to follow you, Jesus? And Jesus said, well, let me tell you a story, Peter. And basically this comes down to there's an equality in salvation. We're all saved by the grace of Jesus Christ and all saved by what he did. And so therefore that's what we need to focus on. And he basically says in verse 30 of chapter 19, many who are first will be last and the last first. And he says the same thing in verse 16 of chapter 20. So the last will be first and the first last. He's basically telling Peter, listen, Peter, don't worry about what you get. Don't worry about being number one. Realize just put me and your primary purpose in life and everything else falls into place. Now, with that being said, we're going to finish up Matthew chapter 20 today. And to keep that focus, put me first, Peter. That's what you're going to see here going on in Matthew 20. Look at verse 17. It says, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify, and the third day he will rise again. This idea, put me first. Understand that I am here, and I am here to die and to rise again. That's the point of why Christ is here. This is the third time in the last few chapters he said it. He says it in Matthew 16. He says it in Matthew 17. He says it here. He's reminding them, I'm not here to set up the kingdom right now, guys. I'm not here to get Rome off your back. No, I'm here to die. I'm here to deal with sin, and this death is going to be an awful death. Look at verse 19. There's going to be a mocking, a scourging, a crucifying. It's going to be an awful death. And I'm trying to remind this of you. But they're not getting it, are they? He has to say it numerous times. And even after he dies, they don't get it. Because they're expecting to find the body in the tomb. And even when the resurrection happens on resurrection day, they don't get it. Because they were still expecting to find the body in the tomb. And they can't figure out why the tomb is empty. No matter how many times he told them, they couldn't get it. Because their focus was on themselves and not on the Lord. Their focus was on what they wanted and not what the Lord was trying to tell them. Same thing still happens to us today. I see it all the time with my kids that you try to tell them certain things. There's two things that pop up always in our life. The first one is McDonald's Playlands. They absolutely love McDonald's Playlands. They know where they're located. They know. Elias actually got online one time and looked up what the nearest ones were. So if we are driving someplace, and I know there's a McDonald's Playland, I know we're going to pass it, I start telling them miles in advance, guys, we're not stopping. We're not stopping. And so they will go, they'll get excited, they will see it. And one of my favorite things to do is to crush their dreams and to tell them we're not stopping. And they will, we will tell them, we will tell them, we will tell them, they will go by, and they still have the expectation of what? We're stopping. No. They do the same thing. I've shared with you before about Speedway. Speedway's got these slushies we go and get. And the best thing about the Speedway slushies is every seventh one is free. Well, I'm taking in nine people. So I'm getting in, every time I go, I'm getting a nice little discount. Well, if we go through a town, there's Speedways all over. And so what the boys have started doing now is they've actually created this song. And when they start seeing a Speedway, they start singing it. And it's just, you know, and we'll sing it and we'll drive by and then we won't stop. And they'll be disappointed. But then typical town, five blocks later, there's another one. You know, it's just this up and down. No matter how many times you tell them, we're not stopping, not today, guys, they don't get it. Now, on a spiritual level, guys, I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to die. This is my purpose. This is what I'm here for. I need to do this. They don't get it. 
Go with me real quick, if you will, to 1 Corinthians 15. We need to talk about why this is so important and how this is so important. This idea of Jesus coming to die. You know, as we get near Christmas, one of the points we like to make is Christmas really is a celebration of the first day of a 33-year-long journey to death. Christ came to die. And that's what he's trying to tell them. And as he dies, though, we also have to focus on the resurrection. Because when Christ mentions this in Matthew 16, Matthew 17, and here, every time he mentions his death, he also mentions his resurrection. Because it's not the sole focus, I'm going to die. I'm going to die, but rise again. To truly preach the gospel, you've got to preach the cross. The idea of sin and death, and it has to be dealt with. But you also need to preach the resurrection. That Jesus rose from the dead, defeated death, so therefore death has been defeated in our lives. You need to have both those aspects. Let's talk about the resurrection. Look here at 1 Corinthians 15. Start in verse 13. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So if no one rises from the dead, Christ hasn't risen from the dead, Paul is saying. Verse 14, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, what are we doing? You know, Muhammad's still dead, Buddha's still dead, but Jesus, the tomb is empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Paul's saying, I'm going around telling everybody Christ rose from the dead. If this did not happen, our faith is empty. Our life is empty. We're still in sin. Verse 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Paul says the most pitiable person then is somebody who's believing in this resurrection. And it's not happening. That's why the resurrection is so important. That's why when Jesus says, I'm going to go die, he also finishes every time. I'm also going to rise again. Because the resurrection is what gives us hope. The tomb is empty. We won. And so since we know this, that our focus is supposed to be on Christ and how we serve him, we know the tomb is empty. We know we've won. So our primary purpose in life is to represent Jesus. But then guess what happens? Matthew 20, verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons kneeling down and asking something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right hand and the other on the left in your kingdom. Imagine what's going through Christ's mind at this time. He is a week away from his death. Chapter 21 starts triumphant entry, Palm Sunday. A week away from his death. He's just told them for the third time, guys, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. Guys, get that in your focus. So as soon as he gets done telling them this deep news, James and John's mom comes up and says, hey, I got a favor to ask you. Can one of my boys sit on your left hand and one of my boys sit on your right hand? You're not getting this. You're not getting the idea of death and resurrection. You don't realize what the next week's going to entail. Oh, yeah, I get it. You're going to die and rise again. But can one of my boys sit on your left and one of my boys sit on your right for all of eternity? Now, according to Mark chapter 10, it sounds like the boys were also a lot behind this as well. And it's interesting, in the New Living Translation, in verse 21, what do you wish? When he asked them that in Mark, the boys' answer is this. Would you do us a favor? Have you ever been asked by somebody to do you a favor? Always say no. I'm just telling you right now. If I have to ask somebody to do something that's difficult, I usually tell them something like this. I'm going to ask you to do something, but I'm giving you a forewarning right now. So if you want to think of an excuse real quick, you can. Because anytime someone says, could you do me a favor? It's a pretty big thing following that. So when the boys are saying, would you do us a favor? Would you do what we ask? 
I find it fascinating that Jesus responds in verse 21, What do you wish? Now remember in the Bible, anytime you see Jesus asking a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. He's asking it as a probing question. What are you going to tell me? So when he says, What do you wish? Okay, tell me what you're thinking here. All right, I want one of my boys to sit on your right, one of my boys to sit on your left for all of eternity. Verse 22. Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. He said to him, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but is for those to whom is prepared by my Father. It's fascinating to me that Jesus did not rebuke them. He says, Okay, guys, you want to sit on my right hand and left? Fine. This is what's asked of you. This is the sacrifice you need to make. So let's break this down. You want the recognition? You want that place of prestige and honor? You've got to be willing to make the sacrifice, James and John. And guess what? They were. James is the first martyr in the book of Acts. He was beheaded by Herod. John lived the longest of any of the disciples, lived up into his early 90s, most people believe. But it wasn't without difficulty. They tried to boil him alive, and it didn't work. He was banished to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. So he lived longer, but he also went through a lot more too. So Jesus is saying, you want this? You have to be willing to go through this. And will you do it? And they said, we are able. And they were. You have to be baptized with me. Now, this is not baptism with water. This is baptism in the sense of being identified with me. Are you willing to identify your life with my life and take what comes? Because my life is difficult. Life is difficult. Why is it as believers we think we're going to get it easy? Jesus made it clear. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. If they mock me, they're going to mock you. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. I don't know where we've gotten this mindset as believers that once we get saved, everything is just going to be perfect. Christians don't get sick. Christians don't get cancer. Christians don't lose their jobs. Yeah, we do. The difference is we have the Lord as our foundation to get us through it. And it's during those times of trials and tribulations, the Lord says, will you glorify me? Will you still keep your focus on me during this time? So he says, guys, are you able to do it? They said, we are. He said, you're right. You will be able. But it's going to be difficult. It's going to be very difficult. So the problem is we always want the recognition. We always want the pat on the back. And guess what happens? Verse 24. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Man, oh man. Human nature has not changed, has it? We always want to be recognized at work. We always want to have the pat on the back. We always want to be noticed for what we have done. And what Jesus is trying to tell us in these passages is completely let that go. It's not about you being noticed at work. It's not about you being noticed at home. It's not about everybody saying you do a great, wonderful job. He says it's about me. Look at this, verse 25. Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Basically, verse 25, people like power. They want to be in charge. Verse 26, Yet it shall not be so among you. You're not trying to get the promotion. You're not trying to move ahead. You're not trying to get the attention. You're not trying to get the recognition. You're not trying to get the good job. Your Father who in heaven who sees you will reward you. He'll see it. It shall not be so among you. Verse 26, But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. You want to be great? Learn how to serve. Verse 27, Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. You want to be number one? Learn to be a slave. 
Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ said, I have come to set this example. Let's talk about that. Can you go with me to John 13? Let's talk about this wonderful example that Jesus set of servanthood. John 13. People will be bothered by when you try to move ahead in life and push yourself forward. John 13. You all know somebody that you work with, you live with, you go to school, and their constant focus is to get the attention of the people in charge to make themselves look good. It's an awful thing. Christ is saying, let it go. It's never about winning. It's not about the best seats. It's not about getting the recognition. It's all about Jesus. And we're all in ministry. King James out there, yours doesn't say serve, it says ministry. What is ministry? It literally means to serve. We're all in the ministry to serve. There is no hierarchy in believers. Jesus is the head, and we all serve. And he set the example. Look at John 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. This was the lowest job of any servant 2,000 years ago. If you'd come into a house, the servant, the lowest of the servants, would come and immediately sit down and try to wash your feet. They wore open-toed sandals. They walked through the dirt, the dust. The feet were disgusting. So the lowest job was to wash feet. And that's what Jesus does. Verse 6, Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him, therefore he said, You are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, and sat down again, he said to him, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus set the example. Do not overlook how powerful this is. This is Christ setting the example of doing the lowest possible servant's job. Now, once you understand that physically, that's fascinating. Can you imagine being one of the twelve and you're sitting there? And you see Jesus get up, he girds himself, he brings over water, a towel, he sits down, he starts washing feet? That'd be awkward. And imagine being the last disciple to wait. You see him go through all twelve? He's coming to you? That's an awkward thing. What, what an example of humbleness. But now look at it spiritually. This is not just Jesus, son of Mary. This is God, the creator of the universe. Got down on his hands and feet and said, I'll wash feet and set an example for you. The, creator, the, the, the God that holds our very breath in his hands said, the example I want to set for you is this. That's oh, Unbelievable. Unbelievable. One of the little phrases that we do at home, if maybe the kids and I are in the room together or something like that, Dawn will come in and she'll make a comment, hey, I need someone to take the food garbage out to the goats, I need someone to burn the trash, I need someone to take this downstairs. And so she'll make that comment, and guess what will happen? Nothing. And everybody just kind of sits there. 
So we'll stop at that time and say something. Hey, did everybody hear your mom? She needs someone to take the food garbage off. She needs someone to go burn the trash. And we'll say, listen, we need a servant right now. We need someone to wash feet. Who's willing to do that? Because no one wants to do those jobs. But somebody needs to rise up and be a servant and say, I'll go do it. Do you think Jesus wanted to do this? No, of course not. But he's setting an example of what that is. And so we'll use that phrase when talking to the boys. Maybe there'll be an issue going on, and one of the boys will come over and say, well, I don't want to do that. And I'll say, well, you know what? Maybe it's just time to wash feet for a little bit. You're setting an example of saying, I'm going to put your needs above my needs, your wants above my wants. And I can't stress to you enough, look at verse 15 of John 13 one more time. For I've given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. That's the example set. The Lord is going to ask you, be it at home, be it at school, be it at work, wherever you're at this week, he's going to ask you to wash feet. And you're not doing it for that person. That person may not have earned it, deserved it, whatever. You're doing it to be a servant because that's what the Lord has called us to do. He wants us to serve. He wants us to minister by putting him first. And then to give this example one more point, he says, I'll show you that I'm willing to do it, not just in washing feet. Go back to Matthew 20 now. Verse 29. Now as they went out of Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Then the multitude warned them that they should be quiet, but they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Now, that may not look like a story of example of serving. This is an amazing example of serving. Because what was Jesus' focus right now? To go to Jerusalem. In fact, in the book of Luke, when it talks about his desire to go to Jerusalem, it says he steadfastly set his eyes on it. That was his sole purpose now. Next chapter, Matthew 21, is the triumphant entry, Palm Sunday, a week before his death. His focus right now is to be prepared for his physical death, the sufferings of the cross, and to get his disciples ready. That's his focus. And in the midst of this focus, there's two guys yelling out his name. So what does he do? He serves them by stopping and healing them. Now you may think, well, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of serving. Have you ever had your mind focused on something? And that's what your task was? This happens to me a lot. I got the focus and I'm getting ready to go out to church. I'm going out to a ministry appointment, what have you. And so I'm getting ready to leave the door. I make sure I got my Bible, my car keys, my wallet, my calendar, my phone. I'm ready to go. Opening the door. Bye, everybody. Love you. Love you, too. We leave. Hey, Dad. What? You got a second? Yeah, I guess. Okay, and then here's this or that. I'm focused. I'm ready to go, okay? You know, when I shut that door to my house, I'm no longer married. I no longer have children, right? I'm focused, Typical man. So say goodbye to them, and then a little bit later, then I'm getting ready to get my car door. Hey, Dad. Oh, man. Have you ever been in that where you're so focused on getting the task done? Any little thing just creates this distraction. I look at this, and I see Jesus saying, I want to go to Jerusalem. That is my goal. That is my focus. And I'm willing to stop and fix this, help these people, and serve them. And not just serve them. Look at this. Verse 32. Jesus stood still. The cries of the blind man had the creator of the universe stop. Did you ever think about that? Right now, 
There is nobody famous or powerful that you could get to stand still for you. Nobody. They wouldn't care. You're nothing. I'm nothing. But here's two blind men crying out for mercy, and it makes the God of the universe stand still. Aren't you thankful you serve a God that loves you enough to stand still and say, what do you want me to do for you? Oh, man. And it's not what do you want me to do for you like some genie in a bottle. What do you want me to do in your life? How do you want me to move? What do you want me to say? We want to see. Verse 34. So they see. Not just see. Jesus had compassion and touched their eyes. This is the creator of the universe. He could have never stopped walking. and just said, oh, you want to see? Fine, you see. I'm walking on. Stood still, stopped, in verse 34, touched their eyes. That's the example that Christ is telling us. I don't care how busy your life is. I don't care how busy your schedule is. You have enough time when the Lord of the universe tells you to stop, you stand still, and you go out and touch the blind. Because that's what we're called to do. It always bothers me when I run into believers that are too busy to put the Lord first. Jesus set the example of, I will stop my day, I will stand still, and I'll touch the eyes of the blind. It reminds me of back in the Old Testament. Or I believe it was Elijah and his servant Gehazi, where it was the widow's son that passed away. And so he sent Gehazi and said, hey, go touch the widow's son with the staff and he'll get better. So Gehazi shows up, touches the widow's son with the staff. The widow's son is dead. And guess what happens? Nothing. So Elijah shows up. Everybody's sad. This is an awful situation. The staff didn't work. He tried touching him. So what does Elijah do? The Bible says he lays down on the child, hand to hand, face to face, foot to foot, personal contact with the dead child and then the child is resurrected amazingly what is that a picture of it's a picture of us as a society we don't want to go to the blind people we don't want to go to the spiritually dead people we don't want to go near them so what do we do we stay at a distance and try to touch them with the staff no ministry is getting in there and getting your hands dirty and you got to be able to willing to go over and touch their eyes just like christ did and said i care enough to get involved in your life See, it says in verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them. Compassion, from a biblical sense, is a heartfelt desire to get involved with their lives. It means to literally get beside them. See, when we think of compassion, well, I feel bad for you, so I'll send you some money and I'll never want to deal with it again. Compassion is I'll go do one good deed and I'll get out of there. No, compassion from a biblical sense is you get in there, you get your hands dirty, and you serve right along beside them. That's how you're going to impact people for Christ. If you're constantly trying to touch people at a distance with the staff, they'll never really come to know Christ. You've got to be, get out there and get your hands dirty. It's compassion. It's touching their eyes. That's what Jesus set the example. And what that means is you've got to be willing to go back in verse 32 and sometimes stand still. You've got to stop. Stop walking. Stop moving and say, Lord, I hear somebody screaming for you. I'm going to go minister to them. Now, we're also the blind people. We're blind, spiritually blind. We don't see the truth. We've heard about Jesus. And so what do we do when we hear about Jesus? We cry out, verse 30. They heard Jesus was passing by, cried out saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, Son of David. Lord, we need you. And what does the world do in verse 31? They warn us that we need to stay quiet. I'm willing to bet most of you, when you got saved, and you came home and told friends and family that you got saved... Now, if they were believers, they were probably excited for you and amen. But if they weren't, they probably told you good for you. I'm glad you're happy. Hope it works out for you. Don't go crazy, please. Don't become a fanatical. Keep your mouth down. Just don't make a big deal out of it. Some of you probably work someplace 
Where it's like, yeah, you don't need to talk so much about the Lord. You don't need to do all of that. They're telling us to constantly, what, be quiet. See, people love Christianity when we show up and we don't really push the whole sin, savior, resurrection, hell thing. But when we just drop off free water and food and everything, oh, you Christians are amazing. But as soon as we start getting into the deepness of heaven and hell and sin and morality and what the Bible teaches, all of a sudden, be quiet. And not only be quiet, verse 31, they warn us. Don't do this. What's our response? End of verse 31. They cried out all the more. Because we know the answer. We know the truth. So we need to cry out all the more. Because we know what needs to happen. Can we have compassion like Christ had compassion? Not just get near, but to get involved. Jesus lived it. Jesus preached it. He said, put me first. Put these people first. Serve them. And he was willing to stop stand still and say, I want to minister to you in your time of need. What an amazing example that is. I want you to think about this this week. As you get ready to leave here, realize the Lord is going to ask you to serve. He's going to ask you to wash some feet. He's going to ask you to stand still in your busy life. He's going to ask you to go out there and touch the eyes of the spiritually blind. He's going to ask you to put aside your personal desires for recognition, winning the best seats, and say, nope, just put me first. Because when you really realize that, all of a sudden everything falls into place. You know, at the beginning of this year, we really focused on Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And this is what we say all the time out here. If you put God first, everything else falls into place. And that's what we need to live and that's what we need to do in our personal lives, at work, in our marriages, everything. Just put the Lord first and let everything else fall into place. Worship team, if you come forward here for the final song. Hey, let's pray this into our lives. Heavenly Father, we are just thankful to be here this morning. And Lord, I pray that we can just do exactly what your word is saying right here. We want to wash feet. We want to serve you. We want to stand still in the busyness of life. We want to touch the spiritual blind. Lord, we want to put you first. Lord, help us to die to all of our desires. Help us to deny us and live for you. And the joy that will come out of that, oh, in the name of Jesus, help us to do it. And as you give us these opportunities this week, remind us of the words that you taught here, that we may truly live it in all that we say and do. We thank you and we praise you in your name. Amen.